Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. Or if you're one of the folks just streaming it on Spotify, we're on there now. That's a new thing. So happy. Kind of, sort of, almost not really. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Still not improvising because I don't want to put my cast at risk, even if we could go into a sweaty basement in New York City and make up some haha. That's all right, because we all love each other. With me is the very annoyed due to a feline. The mistress of the beeps, the boops, the bops, the lady that makes this still possible and allows me to be creative and spew my nonsense into the ether. You know her, you love her. Where would any of us be without her? She's Chelsea Bennington. Hello. Oh, that makes me think of what we do in the shadows, the ether. <laughs> mm. oh, yeah. but, but, this is a story. I told you about this uh, last week. Um, I was leaving the house. I was driving to visit my aunt and uncle. I had my mask on and I'm ready. And there's a lot of churches on my street. And there's one right on the corner. And even before the pandemic, there was never any, I don't recall much ever seeing any services let out too frequently from this church but i'm there i'm at the four-way stop and i look left no cars i look right and there's a bald man with glasses and a white t-shirt just slowly waving at me from the open door and my mind just goes ah colin robinson and i go through the intersection yes i remember and i'm like there's a fucking colin robinson in my neighborhood and i freaked out colin robinson energy yeah, my my cat has, I don't know if that audio will come through, but part of me really hopes it does. But while you were introducing me, my door creaked open, very scary movie style. And then she pops out. So so we'll see. She's just, she wants to be a commentator. So. Well, she has been a producer before. She has, she has. I fired her though, but she's, you know, she that, refuses to leave the studio. That's why you got beef now. Right. And, and and it's not easy when you live with your own jump scare. Oh my god, that's a wow! That's actually a really deep quote. It's not easy when you live with your own jump scare. I have my moments. I love that. That's good. Thank you. And <laughs> and and Chelsea's a tough fucking audience. Where I'm coming. I know. <laughs> not not much amuses me because no. also listeners I asked Rick if he could hear me okay and I've been having audio issues already and Rick was like no not even a little bit and I was about to throw this laptop out the window and he was just like I'm kidding I can't <laughs> well because usually w- with zoom and with cell phones and what have you when someone asks can you hear me the response is like hello I can't hear you uh, are you there? That kind of thing. But yeah. when the answer is just like, no, I can't, I, I can't hear you at all. That means that I heard you and I'm fucking. Exactly. And you would think my brain would compute that, but it's on I a be- very short circuit right now. <laughs> Again, the, the not making excuses for you, simply standing back. I believe you're also sipping coffee at the time uh, with a mug that appeared to have tonks on it. That's true. It has Tonks and her bitch face, and then the other side says, I do what I want, with a cartoon cat flipping me off. I use this mug a lot during work, and I forget, and I have to, you know, uh, put my hand over it. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
So the under-caffeination at the time probably didn't help matters. That is very true. But, but here know, we gonna, are. If I'm going to pull a little prank, at least it's a harmless one, and you didn't actually throw your laptop yet. Yeah. yeah. No, and it was funny. It was. It did make me laugh because my I went immediately from rage to, oh, okay, it's fine. <laughs> so it was very funny. And I have enough faith in you that if you did throw your laptop, you'd be able to fix it all with a clever edit later. Exactly, exactly. Just add a smooth transition and it would be fine. You're that good. <laughs> but yes, but, I am happy to be here. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you because without you, I, I'd be alone talking to my wall. Um, but as our, our listeners can see from the description, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about horror icons which is a topic that you brought to me, Chelsea. And uh, when you usually say, hey, I have an idea for the show, I go, yes, absolutely, what is it? And then you break it down for me. So, because yeah, that, that, that seems like the right way to do things in my uh, improv opinion. It's like, you know, someone's like, I have this idea. It's like, yes, and, and. <laughs> I trust you enough to go like, oh yeah, yeah, we're doing it. Now tell me what it is. <laughs> so where'd you come up with this one? I, um, you know, it's not even a clever story or epiphany. It was just, you know, we were, you and I were shooting the shit like in texts and just talking. And you asked me if I had any, um, if I had any ideas or anything, you know, coming up that I wanted to talk about. And I was, you know, thinking about October and Halloween. And at first I was thinking of franchises. Well, maybe this is actually more clever of an idea than I thought it was. But we were, I was thinking about uh, like, you know, horror movie franchises and, uh, you know, significant like Killers or um, Final Girls, which we've done we, know, some of that before. Girls, yeah. yeah, we did Final Girls. And I was thinking, I was like, well, what if I took it a step back and thinking behind the camera, think like, the icons that have been created in real life from this. And so I'm not talking about Michael Myers as an icon, but the person who played Michael Myers as an icon, like, you know, just um, the actors who have become this sort of character on their own to the point where they are making, well, hopefully they're making bank, I'm not sure, um, when it comes to like, they can show up at conventions every year, people recognize them by name, by face, even if they're not in their makeup or in their mask. And also just people whose careers were really shaped by it. And if they embraced that they are now a horror movie icon or a horror movie um, star or ones that did kind of stray away from it, or wh whether that be they wanted to, or they just, you know, didn't hold on. Um, so I, I was like, well, let's just talk about horror movie icons and not necessarily like, you know, Jason, but the person who plays Jason. And I'm not saying that's one of mine or one of yours, but I'm just, my idea was just talking about people uh, who play these people. Given some credit where credit is due. And I'm curious if we have some overlap of who we've chosen. We've chosen three each uh, people that are important. I didn't really follow a criteria. Me neither. Except it's like I think uh, two of mine don't get credit outside of 
what they're known for. Uh, one is going to be very fucking obvious, and that's that's cool. So, yeah. but 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 ladies first, uh, you want to tell me how you chose your three before you reveal number one? I I would love to. So I like you didn't really follow a strict criteria. My my criteria was um, they've been in three or more horror films, and that's something that they're most well known for. Um, in pop culture or in a more cult movie status. It had to be someone who really has made some type of mark in the horror genre. They didn't necessarily have to be, you know, um, I keep calling him an icon and I can't remember his fucking name, but the guy who plays, who was very popular for playing Jason. The most popular one being Kane Hodder? Yes, Kane. I was like, I can't, I can picture his face and here I am calling him an icon and I can't even bother remembering his name. But, um, <laughs> He wore a lot of stuff on his face most of the time. He did. Granted, yes, he did. And so, so there, that was a, just to interrupt. There's a great documentary about him uh, from Dread Pictures. It's on Shutter. It's on Dread TV. Called To Hell and Back. And oh, I'm like, right. this motherfucker's got more story than I was aware of. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That's on my queue. I've been meaning to watch that. But yeah, so yeah. that was that was my criteria. And then selfishly, the more I thought about it, I was like, this gives me an excuse to talk about someone who I have loved ever since I was a kid and still love today. And I consider her, so this is my first one, I consider her um, a screen queen in her own right. And I do think she's a horror movie icon. Before um, you reveal, I just can tell from the video, Chelsea's getting that excited. I Giddy look about her. She's like, I am so happy I get to say this out loud. It's true. <laughs> and, and, and I love when you get jubilant. So lay it on us. It's, uh, I am going to honor Sarah Michelle Geller. I think that she is a horror movie icon. One thing I want to, that I think really solidified it in the past uh, couple of years is um, she did a superb owl commercial. Um, uh for Olay the skincare brand Olay and in that commercial she is running from a killer and you're like how does this what does this have to do with skincare and uh she wants to call the cops and her phone has um the face recognition and since she uses now uses Olay her skin is like very youthful, very bright. And so her phone doesn't recognize her. So she can't call for help after this killer. So the fact that she did this commercial that did have a fun like horror movie, you know, essence about it, um, just reminded me like, yeah, she really did make her mark in the 90s and early 2000s with this. Interesting marketing ploy, Olay. Our products are so good they might get you killed. Right? <laughs> the message you want to send out during the superb owl. I, I know. I thought it was very interesting. I was like, this is very funny. But it's also, <laughs> she can't get access to help. But um, the reason, so that was one of the things I was thinking about, you know, that she really solidified her place there. So she starred in a couple of horror movies or several horror movies in the late 90s and early 2000s. The three biggest ones is um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, and then The Grudge, the remake of The Grudge in 2004. Um, 
and I know what you did last summer. One thing that I've talked to you about this so many times, Rick, and I've noticed it's a very mm. popular opinion within the horror community as well, is her character is not, is obviously not the final girl. Jennifer Love Hewitt's uh, Julie James is, who I consider the worst final girl in history. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that, throw that remark really quickly. Um, but it's a very popular, <laughs> it's a very popular opinion in the horror community that Helen Shivers, who is Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, is completely more sympathetic, more in depth, um, a much more fleshed out and relatable character than Julie James is, to the point where you really wish the roles were reversed and that Helen Shivers lived and Julie um, was the one who was killed. So uh, after that, she did a horror movie, um, Scream 2, and she, if I remember correctly, got that role from doing I Know What You Did last summer because of, you know, Kevin Williamson being part of both. And uh, she had a small role there, a small but very memorable role with uh, the uh, with the scene um, where do you want to die tonight, CC, saying that on the phone. Mm -hmm. She's a sorority girl at the sorority, sorority house. house. Yes and um, has a great chase scene that makes no sense. She runs up the stairs and like throws a bike, throws a plant, like does all of this, um, all of this uh, hilarious stuff to stop him. And in The Grudge, uh, that was considered the mark of um, how popular American remakes of Japanese horror films be became because I think it it exceeded in a box office significantly more than they were anticipating. And I was one of those people who saw it opening weekend because I was obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar. The hell uh, you say. I know. Can you believe it? And um, and so that was a very iconic horror movie moment for her. And it was coming off right up after Buffy. And I think Buffy is also something that solidifies her as a horror icon because Buffy is a horror television show. It's a, it's a horror, you know, monster of the week, uh, teen to coming of age drama, all wrapped up in one. It deals with, you know, vampires and monsters and Joss Whedon, who very problematic person, did create Buffy as kind of the opposite of, you know, a girl getting chased around in horror movies because he acts like women in horror movies are weak. So that's already not the best perception that he had, but he did create her as kind of a response to, um, to those type of characters. And so he did want her to be the blonde, you know, cheerleader, kind of popular. And she's amazing and Buffy. And she just, she really just didn't hold back when it came to doing horror movie after horror movie, which I thought was great. There was even more, horror movie she was going to do. I remember she was signed on to play Tara Reid's character in um, Urban Legend, but she had to drop out because of the Buffy schedule. And she was supposed to play um, Jordana Brewster's character in The Faculty, but she also had to drop out of that regarding Buffy. So I do wish that Buffy didn't hold her back from being able to really embrace like the late 90s, early 2000s horror genre because we would have gotten even more of her in different types of characters. But I think the mark that she already made with I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, and The Grudge specifically, um, just really marked her to where, you know, 
Twitter loves her. The horror community on Twitter, the, especially the LGBTQ horror community on Twitter, absolutely loves her. And um, it's great to see this resurgence of how wonderful of a scream queen she is. And um, yeah, I just, I think she's so iconic. I love that now she has her own baking uh, company and just does what she wants, but still talks about these movies and stuff. And I'm waiting for her to have like a, like bring her back for Scream 5, damn it. I don't care that she's dead, <laughs> bring her back. Um, I'm just waiting for her to kind of have another moment if she wants to, because she's got her husband, her family, her, you know, cookies. She's good. She's got enough money to do nothing ever again. But I do think that she is a horror icon. Yeah, I never watched uh, Buffy for, for two reasons. That I saw the movie and didn't particularly enjoy it. And then thought, well, why are they going to, why would I watch a TV show based on a movie I didn't enjoy? And also, I was working nights in retail, so I just never got around to it. Uh, but I did enjoy her in Scream. Uh, and I know what you did last summer. I've watched that during the pandemic, but not as closely and with as much reverence as you did. Um, like, uh, again, you know my opinion. I'm like, if this is a slasher movie, somebody's got to get naked, and nobody does. But I did get to see uh, Johnny Galecki uh, play a dickhead who gets a, a, a fish hook. Hook to the, hook to the neck, to the, my to man. The, like, to the, to the, to the, to the jowls. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool anyway. And you got uh, Ryan uh, Philippe. Philippe. Mm -hmm. I think it's Philippe, but it should be like Philippe. Philippe. He's missing a good moment. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry. That's, it's okay. It's, a, it, it, it's definitely an entertaining movie. And there are throngs of people. There, to the best of my knowledge, the people that watch Buffy. They're, they're like uh, as dedicated as the KISS army. I don't know oh, of yeah. anyone that likes uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer a little In a bit. chill way. <laughs> That's yeah. so fair. I did, I did watch I'm surrounded that, by uh, Buffy books right now, actually. My mom I did watch that episode uh, where everybody was silent. Oh, beautiful and thought, episode. And I thought that was cool. I didn't choose to continue after that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember who made me watch it. It may have been, well, Doug Jones played the gentleman. He played like the lead. So it may, it, you may have just thought, oh, Doug Jones is in this horror movie-esque episode. I, it, there was somebody uh, who was just like, oh, you need to watch this. And I'm like, okay, that was cool. Um, I'm glad you taped it because, you know, I still work nights. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's fair. I think you make a good point with the movie. I actually, I do enjoy the movie, but I enjoy it for being, I, I don't know, I enjoy it for what it is. Like, even mm -hmm. Joss Whedon hates the movie, and I'm like, well, you wrote it, my man, so I don't know what to tell you. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so the TV series, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword there where they made it because of the movie, but also Joss Whedon was very much wanting to make it different than the movie. But I'm like, you know, maybe name it something else then. I don't know. But I mean, I'm glad he didn't because I'm a hardcore Buffy fan and have been since 97, like since it has come out. But um, I you think like a, 
Aren't you like a zygote in 97? I was five years old and my mom let me watch it. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I was six years old. I was six years old. I think uh, there are uh, way more fans of the show than the movie at this point. Oh, definitely. I, I, think, I think there's damn pretty much a generation like, wait a second, this was a movie? Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, it doesn't help that Christy Swanson didn't become the icon she could have because she's a MAGA conservative um it's unfortunate because i'm watching psych right now and i love her on psych but how are you gonna I digress how are you gonna throw in with that elk after being in higher learning clearly she did not learn higher she did not she learned lower but no so i yeah i immediately thought of sarah michelle geller after i came up with the horror icons thing with you i was like this gives me a reason <laughs> to do the same thing I did in sixth grade when I was taking a pop culture class and I wrote an essay on why Sarah Michelle Gellar is a queen and should be the next James Bond. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I might, I, I might finally watch a James Bond. I just, <laughs> I'm, just pic- I'm just picturing you at the front of the class in Alabama going, Sarah Michelle Gellar is very, very cool. With roundhouse kick to a monster face. Exactly. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Trevor. Anyway, <laughs> that was me. Oh my god, I had a so. It's like I was there. <laughs> so I had um, I had a fan website for her too when I was twelve and thirteen. I was so obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar. And I still am. I'm just, I guess, more of an adult about it. I'm afraid to tag her when we post this episode. She's going to be like, I filed a restraining order against her in 2004. (laughs) This Chelsea broad again. How many many baked goods will it take for her to shut up about I will say, in my obsession, I did buy, so her company is called Foodsters, and they are sold in grocery stores now. And I bought the... um, chocolate chip cookie mix a few weeks ago to make uh, cookies for my roommate's birthday and they were delicious. So Buffy, not only can you kill demons, you can slay baking, so. Well, goddamn coronavirus, cause I ain't getting none of these motherfucking cookies. I'll make, I'll make you cookies when this is all over. Uh, I'll make you Buffy cookies. But yeah, so that is my, that is my first one. That is my spiel on Sarah Michelle Gellar as the horror icon she deserves to be. And wow. she well, how the hell do I follow that? I really don't know, but I'm going to give it a try. We're going old school. And uh, my first choice is uh, Mr. Boris Karloff. Oh, you went back. Wow. I did. I wasn't expecting this. He's iconic for a couple of reasons. I think primarily being Frankenstein. When you're thinking about Frankenstein, especially visually you're thinking about him mm-hmm. and every frankenstein monster that tries to do something different you're always in the back of your mind going this doesn't look like karloff you're more comfortable with herman munster and the frankenstein from the monster squad because they kind of look like that karloff design and all of the knockoffs and the halloween decorations and the toys it's like you want the ones that look like Karloff's monster, even though motherfucker wasn't in the credits <laughs> when they put him in there. And you know, we, we can talk about all his other numerous rules like the mummy 
uh, his movies with Bela Lugosi, like The Black Cat. Um, I even love his uh, stuff with Abbott and Costello, and Abbott and Costello meet the killer. It's like you get to see him interact comedically, because he wasn't in Abbott and Costello make, meet Frankenstein, and then he probably realized the error of his ways, and it's like, need to get in with those two funny motherfuckers. Um, so visually, he's astounding, but also behind the scenes. Uh, and we talked uh, with our little movie club group recently about uh, not to, you know, go ahead, listen to this other podcast. You must remember this. Did uh, okay. uh, an arc, a little series about Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff and their careers coming up simultaneously. And one of the things that I found astounding is Boris Karloff is one of the main reasons you have a Screen Actors Guild. So to all my improv friends that don't really like horror, you need to thank Frankenstein's monster. Because <laughs> back in 1931, uh, you're in the Great Depression. Um, a lot of actors can't perform on stage because people can't afford to go to the theater. So they all start going to Hollywood and Hollywood is besieged with actors, and movie studios have experts come in and go, you know, we can, we can cut these actors' rates by as much as 50% uh, just because they need to make a living, and abuses happened. And Boris Karloff spent a 25-hour shoot on Frankenstein between the makeup being applied his shooting for the day, and then his makeup having to be removed. That's abusive. And he filed a complaint with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, rightly so. It's like, you need actors, you need to treat them better. Uh, otherwise, you don't have a movie that you can get people to come out and see, and the studios can't make their money. So in a weird uh, revolutionary move of solidarity that elevates his icon status in uh, my eyes. Uh, again, as someone who gets work through a union to work on TV and movies, it, it is long, it is hard, there's a lot of hurry up and wait, and you could spend more than 12 hours working on something that when you see the finished product might be eight minutes of that TV show or movie and you're only seeing like, you know, the, the takes that worked in the screen, you're not seeing all the setup ahead of time, everything get that gets taken down. You're not seeing like the pile of cigarettes that the lead actress threw on the ground in each take and I'm the one in between takes going and picking up those cigarette butts. There, there's, there's a lot of people involved and they all need to make a living for all the make pretend that's keeping you entertained while you're at home, uh, not sharing cookies with your co-host and things like that. <laughs> that that might've been a little shot. No, I get it, I get it. There's disease, I can buy my own like cookies. Like this is coming personal, so you know. <laughs> I don't think the cookies that I buy are made with as much love. I'm just going to say that. And that's where my curiosity. And, and vampire slaying uh, flavor. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not going on as long as you did 
about Sarah Michelle Gellar because your love for her is true and my admiration for Boris Karloff. It's, it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point, but you know, God damn, he, he, he made his mark and you still feel it nearly a century later. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, if anyone thinks about Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster, they're just immediately going to picture Boris Karloff's uh, monster. They're immediately going to think of the scene of him uh, with the flowers and the little girl, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just, there's certain things or, uh, you know, the line, you know, uh, what is it? We, we must remain dead or. In Bride of Frankenstein? We belong dead. Yes, we belong dead. So I usually end up thinking of uh, later on or, or early in the movie, rather, was like, me want friend like me. And when he's, uh, you know, drinking wine and smoking with the blind man, like, smoke, good. <laughs> and, and I think that was another thing that he fought for. It's like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the guy. I'm, I'm in the sequel. Um, give me some lines. Let's flesh this character out more. And yeah, he's the guy you think of. I'm like, people know Bela Lugosi played the monster later after originally turning it down. And only a nerd like me is going to remember Glenn Strange playing the monster in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> but they all pale in comparison to, to Boroff. He's Boris, rather. Boris Karloff. Leave that in. You're editing enough already. <laughs> I will leave. Uh, uh, he, he, he's the fucking guy from like his, his shallow cheeks. He even had, uh, I remember hearing in a documentary somewhere, he had a bridge of molars that he took out to play the monster. So it gave his cheeks like an extra sunken effect. And to go back to what you said about uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and you know, that she could do uh, the horror conventions for the rest of her life if she felt like it. It was Carlos that said a typecast actor is a paid actor. Yeah. All right. If they just want me for these things, that's the living I can make and provide for my kids. And you know, now that he's got those sad, now that the Screen Actors Guild exists and they can get health insurance, just pay them dues. And you know, you probably got much better dental work after that. There's something about, I remember when I was first listening to You Must Remember This, and they were talking about uh, the SAG um, correlation with Forrest Karloff. And for some reason, my brain just came up with a bit where, you know, we have the scene where he throws the girl uh, in the water. And I'm like, I could see him after that going, huh, you know, we could have protection. <laughs> there's just something about it where like the girl is just not floating back up and he's like well that, that, that's, <laughs> that's another reason you need the, the screen actors guild exactly and, 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 and child work laws because back then like you know take the kid throw him in the water like you know however right? you need uh, there were kids that same age, most likely working in coal mines, uh, not necessarily as miners, perhaps as shovels, uh, pickaxes. You know, it didn't matter. Like, hey, here you go. Well, if you're John Landis, you know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, snap. Google that story. Too. I went there. 
boom, but yeah, 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 he's big enough in Hollywood. That's punching upward. Go ahead. You got people killed, John Landis, and you were acquitted. But according to you, they will live in cinema forever. So <laughs> congratulations on being the ultimate fuckboy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as an old man who's been retired and out of the game for a long time, I'm not 100% sure what a fuckboy is, because that phrase came into prominence after, you know, I, I found my queen. So w what is that? And then I can reflect on whether or not I was one. <laughs> you know, um, I don't even know if I just used it in the correct sense when I called John Landis that, but I, I use it very, very uh, broadly. Um, and why is it spelled with a final I? I know. I think it just, you know, it really embraces the douchey, um, I'm different from other guys, you know, nice guys finish last culture that a fuckboy becomes. Um, you know, it's hard to describe a fuckboy. <laughs> it, it, is it, is it one of those... Is it one of those you know it when you see it kind of thing? Yeah, you know it when you see it. You know okay. it when you see it. It's, I mean, it's a douchey guy who doesn't treat his partners, whether it be a woman or a man or, you know, anyone, um, doesn't treat his partners well. Um, probably took a film class and thought American Beauty and the trash bag scene was the best scene in the world um, or grocery bag scene, whatever it was. Um, you know, just someone douchey and extra and pompous and at the same time doesn't have much thought in his, in his little brain. Okay. That makes sense? I, 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 <laughs> I don't know say, if it does. I'm going to say yes, because I believe I was not a fuckboy. I don't think you were. I, I mean, I didn't know you then, but I have a feeling you, because you were a zygote in such a poor manner. Right. Yeah. But... No, I, I love that you said uh, Boris Karloff. I think that's definitely a horror icon. And he, he even embraced it on stage. Like I've talked to you before about him being in the, you know, uh, theater um, production of Arsenic and Old Lace. And that was a horror comedy type of situation. He played a very grotesque, um, gruesome, violent older brother who was abusive and you know monstrous I, I can use so many adjectives for that um so he really embraced his demeanor um while being very kind in real life <laughs> and then was introduced to many children as uh, i think the narrator of how the grinch stole christmas so yeah. sell out but okay i get it <laughs> like whatever make your coin um <laughs> I, you know what? I can't tell you which one I watched first. I'm not sure if I watched Frankenstein first or uh, the Grinch cartoon, but I associate him more with Frankenstein, but, but very second, a very, a very close second is uh, the Grinch narration because he did a great job. I think he, uh, he definitely um, embodied that type of story. Knowing your mom like I do, she might have set you up for a double feature one night. I know. She's like, it's Karloff night. Get your popcorn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get your be. sweet tea and popcorn. Um, that, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> so who, who you got next? So Who's second for you? 
It's kind of a good segue because, you know, you think of somebody who is very menacing and has a certain voice and aura about him, yet in real life, he's an absolute precious baby bean that everyone loves. And that's Tony Todd for me. Um, <laughs> Has Tony Todd ever been described publicly as a precious baby being? He has now. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't disagree with his iconic status. I just, I, I, I think of Tony Todd, and I think of a smooth, majestic character with a voice that just makes me want to sit down. It's like. I'm just going to grab a book off the shelf. Just read it. To yeah. Me. Read the, will, read the dictionary, my man. I, read the dictionary. I, I will just lay here and, and let the, the, the warmth of your tones just take me to a better place. So I, yeah, I, which I agree with. I, I more so call him, you know, precious because he's one of those people who has said in interviews you know, people think of me as very grim, but you know, I'm, I'm chill. You know, I, I, I live, you know, a very peaceful life outside of this. I'm not, you know, I'm not this person that I always portray in films or this, this caricature that I portray in films. And so for people that may not be as, um, familiar with Tony Todd, um, I'm sure the first thing for a lot of people that comes to mind is Candyman. For me, it's funny, and this, you know, just really shows my generation. I, I didn't see Candyman until my teens. Um, it was just something, it was a movie I was always aware of, but um, I don't know, this, we didn't have the VHS. I never rented it. We didn't watch it. So I associated him initially with The Final Destination films because going back to our last episode yep our last episode and i promised not to be on final destination for long but um no (laughs) but he's a precious baby being he's a precious baby being um but he plays a coroner in uh the final destination films and three or four of the final destination films he's not in all of them um but that's why i first associated him with because he has that very you know dark demeanor he's describing like death's rules and you know he um he seems to know enough to where you're like is he death is he a demon is he an angel like what's what's this man's deal and you know evidently we never find out but I always associated him with those and then I remember uh just as my horror movie um learning uh continued I watched movies like Wishmaster and then I watched Candyman and then I was I was just really struck by him especially in Candyman and I just thought you know there's a reason this man has done such a great job at being horrifying but also charismatic at the in the same sense mm-hmm. um which isn't always easy to do and uh then when rick introduced me to the hatchet films um two years ago probably two or three years ago uh Wait, you, you never saw them before i loaned them to you no oh shit okay cool <laughs> no i had not watched i had heard of them I heard of the Victor Crowley, you know, character, but I had not seen the movies. And let me tell you, it was 
It was not what I was, I don't think I really had any expectations, but it still wasn't what I was expecting when I watched it. I was just like, okay, this movie knows what it is. Like it, it just very, I was like, all right, I'm on board with this immediately. And I loved when he had a bigger role um, in the sequels. I thought he was, in, yeah, in two and he was in three, yes? No, they killed him in two. Oh, they killed him in two. And you see him on a YouTube clip in Victor Crowley. Ah, uh, that that is correct. I think the reason I keep thinking he was he had a much bigger role than he did is just he made that much of an impact. That's why I immediately mm -hmm. am thinking, oh, he was in three as well. But no, every Hatchet Two was so good, um, and I forget that that was only one movie. Um, but anyway, I think uh, he came to mind because as I was thinking of my three, and it may make more sense after I name my third. I was like. He was somebody who's a little bit, you know, more classic and really has made a moment more than, you know, Candyman came out in what? 1990. Yeah, 1990. Made a moment uh, that is still lasting, especially a moment when it came to, uh, you know, Black actors and horror and how, um, how he just portrayed this charismatic villain it's it's very interesting and very he was very again charismatic quite disgusting with the, <laughs> with the bees and other situations going on there um and then really embracing it with the hatchet series doing Wishmaster. uh he's had several roles and you know rick just in case listeners missed it in the last episode rick watches no. riverdale and um, do we need to bring up my abiding shame again <laughs> after you outed me publicly and for all time and tony todd is in an episode of riverdale and you, you forgot happened i and did you had to just and i had to bring it back up but, <laughs> but this, this is because i mentioned i ain't getting no cookies exactly but this he is, this is my receipt receipt and so looking at his imdb um i consider him just so iconic and there's so many things that i'm like he is just really honed in on the type of characters he can play and he's in things that i've seen um like just guest starring again like on riverdale uh he did um did another show oh he was in chuck which is a show that i really liked and he was in a soap opera you know the young and the restless he's just <laughs> our icon and um just seeing everything he's been in he's in uh tales from the hood three apparently whenever there's a third one i i don't think it's out yet or oh, this okay. could be uh, a fanboy on imdb who created something that's actually not going to get made Oh, no, Tales from the Hood 2020 uh, video. It came it October 6, 2020. What? Like that's next Friday. Tuesday, actually. Oh wow! Shit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> wow. But um, and he's going to be back in uh, the 2021 Candyman that was going going to come out this year. So. Again, I really bring him up because I just love someone who plays such menacing characters and embraces that demeanor, but is so chill and normal and loves it in real life. 
um, and just really embraces doing, whether it be straight to DVD horror films or TV series, like, oh yes, he was in the screen TV series, just showing up in all of these different, uh, different mediums, different horror or cult status uh, type of films and TV shows. And he's just fun. Yeah, when it came to horror icons, he immediately came to mind as well because he, he's left such a mark with only one movie. If you wanted to take everything and just say he's made such a mark with Candyman, you could, but you can also go further. Mm -hmm. No, completely agree. Uh, the portrayal of Candyman is, is it's majestic, and which is odd considering uh, that's the opposite of what that character is, and that yeah. time that that character was alive before coming, becoming a one-handed and bee-covered boogeyman. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's that presence similar to the early Universal monsters that uh, I. I I don't remember if Tony Todd was a theater actor, but I believe he was. He was, yes. Yeah. Like the way that you know Karloff and Lugosi were, where they're 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 projecting to the cheap seats, even though the camera can do whatever. And then you take it further, and you know I love him in Hatchet as Reverend Zombie because there is Reverend Zombie's voodoo shop in the French Quarter, and I love to go in there, and they sell Victor Crowley live shirts, rightly so, and I like to think, like, it, 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 that, that Tony Todd stood in that doorway uh, and, and delivered lines, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's so wonderful. And going even further, I recently been watching Holliston, Adam Green's show, that was, I believe, on Crypt TV, now it's on Shudder, and it's kind of, it, it's very much a horror-themed sitcom where everyone's playing exaggerated versions of himself. So they get Tony Todd to come over and like, yeah, we're, we're partying with Candyman, and then he won't fucking leave. So then you <laughs> see the comedic aspect of Tony Todd as the worst possible house guest ever that like, you know, he's going to watch it. He's, he's going to eat your food, drink your beer, sleep on your couch, try to fuck your girlfriend, and what can you do about you it? You can't and kick Tony Todd out. Mother, yeah. It's motherfucking Candyman. It's That's Reverend amazing. Zombie. What are you going to do? What, you're, what you shouldn't be doing is revealing your co-host's abiding shame once again on a podcast, but you do it anyway. I do it anyway. I, I ask for forgiveness later, you know? Sometimes I like to throw the grenade and walk away, and then I'll just ask for forgiveness later. But, sorry I blew up your shit. <laughs> but speaking of blowing shit up, sometimes heads, sometimes torsos. Uh, my second choice is, is, is the, the, the maestro of the macabre visual, uh, Tom Savini. Nice. Uh, master, uh, uh, the guy that took it upon himself to make the shit look real. He's an actor, a director, stuntman, special effects uh, maestro. He has a school for special effects. He directs his effect shots. Uh, he took what he learned as a photographer in Vietnam and got the, the, the secret formula to make blood 
look realistic as opposed to like, you know, we've all seen those horror movies where the blood looks like red fucking paint and that's no good. No. Uh, but, you know, he makes the shit look real and start to turn brown and it's darker and it gets covered in goo goo muck and he mentored Greg Nicotero who's now all over the place with his effects studio taking what they learned and I there's again another great documentary on Shutter uh, about Tom Savini where he gets into it and he used his love of magic as a child as a way to convey the effects that he wanted to do like how can we make this look with tricks of the camera and mirrors and things to make it look like a severed head is actually rolling across a carpet and speaking while it does it. Uh, in uh, what was it, Trauma by Dario Argento that I watched recently, and 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 he's the guy that 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 every horror fan and effects uh, person owes a debt. Too, he's the guy that like figured out how to do it, and even me in improv, uh, I, I got to see him do like a Q and A uh, down in the lower Manhattan last year, and he talked about you know like he doesn't like dead people, you know, just looking pretty because when you're dead, all the muscles go slack, your jaw opens so every time i've died on stage and spooky doings but had to stay on stage for a little while i make sure my mouth is wide open just because that's what folks look like as opposed to like you know when when you're there and you're like oh look at them how pretty their eyes are just closed or you even weirder for actors like you know just just keep your eyes open and don't blink and that means dead like no you look fucked up have your your mouth all fucking ajar and gross looking. Uh, I, I just take a nap. I think my favorite effects of his are probably from Day of the Dead because they're they're so gooey. And performance wise, uh, I got to give it up to the Sex Machine and From Dust Till Dawn, and and his uh, cock and balls gone. <laughs> I was. <laughs> What? I just forgot about that until now. <laughs> How can you forget about the cock and balls gone? I don't know. It just, I, I, for some reason, and right when I heard you start to, like, begin saying it, it immediately flashed in my mind. I was like, Jesus Christ. Uh, cock and balls gone ought to leave an impression. It does. It's just, I think my mind tries to protect me and buries it, and then it's, like, clear as day. Protect you from the joys of a cock and balls gun uh, from a no. guy named Sex Machine. I can't control what it does. Okay, that's there. a good pick. He yeah, really check out that documentary on Shutter if you if you like. Because also, like like a lot of people in horror, like you mentioned with Tony Todd and Sarah Michelle Gellar, like he's just a big goofy grandpa. <laughs> the heart yeah. of his existence decorating his home the way I wish I could afford to decorate mine. <laughs> no, if I had a pool, yes, I'd want a life-size creature from the Black Lagoon next to it that I could hang my towel on. That would be so fun. Our shower curtain has uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon on it um, being Ooh, uh, picked up. I'll take a picture and show you uh, the creature and he's holding 
um, a cigar and a martini and this woman in a bikini is holding him like, you know, they're, they're about to do some, some nasty. Go fuck that fish. Yep. Like in the, the shape of water I wanted. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Del Toro is a great filmmaker, but he could have gotten a lot more explicit with the fish fucking in that movie. He could have. And I blame the audience because everyone, <laughs> I have gone on this rant with you so many times that everyone kept saying, oh my God, it's so gross. There's a sex scene in it with the fish and the woman. And so I was ready. I turned on the movie and I was ready and nothing happened. Mm. So I still love that movie. But um, <laughs> it was much more sensual and tender than any love scene Billy Bob Thornton has been in. So, you know, but you know, what, 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 what turns me on? Um, the, the, the shape of water love scene and uh, the pool scene from Showgirls. There we go. Those, those are my two that go in, that are just stuck in the brain. Oh my God. The pool scene. That, that's the epitome of sexuality. If I could be that sexy just once, I could die happy. <laughs> I just want to be Elizabeth Berkeley. No, I <laughs> it wouldn't suck. It, it really wouldn't. You know? <laughs> um, so, okay. So my, my last one now, I, I'm not sure if we're going to overlap. Uh, Cause my last one is going back to scream queen um, era. Uh, and I don't know. I'm guessing we're not going to overlap. Wow. Well, you're going to love this one though. Um, because I'm going to bring up someone that you absolutely adore, and I absolutely adore, and that lady's name is Danielle Harris. I do love her very, very much. And I uh, think, yeah, some, go ahead. Some kind of weird immortal. I've wanted, I'm very curious how long after being a teenager she can get cast once again as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, I, I've seen her do scenes in daylight, so it's not vampirism. There might be like a portrait of Dorian Gray thing happening, but she is a wonder for the ages. Can she please make a movie called The Portrait of Danielle Harris and that be the, that be the plot? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to DM her. <laughs> I'm going to DM her with that idea. Yeah, maybe you can I'm acting like we're friends. <laughs> Maybe you could get her on the podcast. I know she's had stalker problems. So when I oh, sent no. her a message like, hey, we do this podcast. Would you like to be on it? Why would you listen, yeah. you know, via Zoom, of course, not like come on over to my house and let me look at you kind of thing. Yeah. Why would you listen to a dude? Yeah, that's such a that's such a shame. I know I've I've read about her stalker issues and I know that that's often a problem for child actresses who started so young and I mean there was a child actress who and, and teenage actress who was you know murdered by her stalker so mm -hmm. there's it's it's really unfortunate and I hope that's something that she doesn't have to worry about much today um I hope she feels safe and happy I I love Daniel Harris it's funny because with Daniel Harris my first um uh exposure to her I guess was uh obviously the Halloween films that she was in and she she had two guest starring roles on two shows that I loved um 
and she played like a bad girl in both of them because she definitely has like um, that bad girl you know I, troublemaker in high school i know one was her. roseanne oh that's not the one i mentioned oh. <laughs> that's not either of them oh, okay. um, she was in an episode of boy meets world and she was the she was the school bully's younger sister and it's like don't mess with her and she is dating the uh the main character but she becomes kind of stalkerish and like sends him roses sends him like I, I, there was like a life-size candy uh man that she sent him like made of candy and um it was a clown it was a candy clown now i remember um so rick imagine danielle harris sending you a life-size candy clown i would head for the hills (laughs) and um and she was so funny on that and then she was also in uh the dick van dyke show diagnosis murder and she played a killer in that and so those are two things i also associate her with but especially um she had that cameo type role in urban legend and then uh, a little more than a cameo but uh yeah, uh, yeah supporting full, i guess full disclosure during that period of time in uh, the the late 90s uh would have fallen to the category of rick's dream girl during the tower records year. i could see that i could see that yeah definitely you're right it's 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 a little more than a cameo it, it, it was supporting she just she did die relatively early on and then teach me how to use the internet danielle harris i know <laughs> you you text or not text god you uh i am someone who apparently is across the hall from you but you know that's how you die um so after that, you know, she had done a lot of guest starring roles in different shows. She was, I always love this stark contrast. And it's again, why I bring her up as an icon. Um, she was a voice um, in the Nickelodeon show, The Wild Thornberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it ran from like 1998 to 2004. It did run for a long time and she was the voice. I just, again, I just love that she's this horror actress, this screen queen. I remember one of the, is it, is it Soska, Soska sisters? Mm-hmm. They did, uh, they filmed Rabid, but um, she was in one of their films and they called her the Natalie Portman of horror. <laughs> which is very interesting and not wrong um and and so anyway i just love when there's a stark contrast when they do something so like child friendly or wholesome and then right after that you do rob zombies halloween um she was my favorite part of rob zombies halloween and what i could get through in halloween too i did watch all of halloween too um it didn't end the way I would have liked it to for her character, but it is what it is. And I think her character in Hatchet had the best glow up ever. The fact that it became Danielle Harris in Hatchet too. That mm-hmm. was awesome. And it made me even more excited uh, to watch them. And I love, um, I loved her character in Hatchet too, and how she played her in Hatchet 3. She was just literally over all that shit in Hatchet Mm -hmm. 3. Like, she just doesn't care. And she's just trying to survive and get this all, like, will you people listen to me so that this can just end? And I'm like, I can relate to that, girl. Um, Nobody wanting to listen to you. And um, you being over it, miles over it. And then um, 
Yeah, I just, I mentioned her, I guess, kind of in the same vein as Sarah Michelle Gellar, though obviously Danielle Harris has done significantly more horror than Sarah Michelle Gellar. But she is one of those people who has 100% embraced the Scream Queen status and the horror girl. I mean, her, isn't her Instagram name Horror Gal? It is. Yeah, she, she uh, fully embraces it. And she's a very talented actress. I don't care how bad the movie, I, I've watched some crappy movies that she's been in, but she is always, I mean, I didn't think the See No Evil and See No Evil 2 was that great, but she was. Oh, Rick, do you like them? No, I don't. It just just because it stars uh, professional wrestler Glenn Jacobs, better known as Kane, in his horror movies. I'm like, oh, by God, it's Kane. A guy who spent most of his career wrestling in a mask and now as a, a mayor of a county in Tennessee is arguing that people should not wear masks during a pandemic. You idiot. That's kind of ironic in a sense. <laughs> with, the, with the movie, yeah. But... Um, but no, I didn't care for, you know, See No Evil and See No Evil 2, but I did watch See No Evil 2 um, really just because Catherine Isabel was in it and Danielle Harris was in it. And it was by the Susquehanna sisters, so I was very interested. But yeah, still give it up to that lady horror. I, exactly. And you know what? I mean, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I like the idea of identical twins bossing Kane around and telling them what to do. I know. <laughs> That's actually, yes, a very great image. Oh my god, they all must have been significantly tiny compared to him, because they're already, they're all already petite women, like Catherine mm -hmm. Isabel, Daniel Harris, and the, and the sisters. <laughs> anyway, that's a really good visual. Um, but yeah, so she, to me, embodies horror icon, because she embraces that she's a horror icon, mm -hmm. and she did the you know, I, I don't think a lot of people would have done Rob Zombie's Halloween if they had already done a couple of Halloween films in a, in, in a different, you know, canon. And well, I loved I'd, that. I'd be curious to hear why she did it, because it's Me my too. understanding that, because, uh, yeah, like you first saw her in Halloween 4 and 5, uh, we're close in age, so it's appropriate for me to say, yes, I had a crush on her. I thought she was a very cute girl. Mm -hmm. uh, and still, you know, now grown. Completely the jeans are immaculate. Yeah. Um, whoever. It's, <laughs> it's my understanding that she worked to get herself emancipated to do Halloween 6, but the studio wouldn't reimburse her for those fees. And that's why that fell apart. So maybe getting approached to do a new Halloween is a way to like have your ha redeem yourself within that universe, oh, but separately. And I just watched those two movies just the other day. And uh, I, I know you have your opinions on Rob Zombie, uh, as we stated in our last episode. And again, the visuals I love in those films. He's a great visual. Uh, yeah, he's so not a bad filmmaker, I will say. And I actually, I agreed with our uh, with our guest, Max, that his later films are not awful. I mean, I've mm -hmm. watched them on Shudder. I, I really just need to get over how angry I get about certain elements of Halloween and Halloween 2. That's really what just soured it for me. But mm -hmm. Rob Zombie's not a bad director. He's got his love for the 70s and he wears it on his sleeve and it's... <sighs> that is true. And uh, Sherry Moon's hot. Like, I mean, I would, I would put her in every movie I was making too. I get it. 
I remember one time on a previous uh, podcast, you said the, her, her pole dancing scene was pointless and I argued that it, it's not. Um, but back to Daniel <laughs> Harris, like even like in things like Roseanne and The Last Boy Scout and Daylight, it's like, okay, th- here, here's this, this gem amongst all this other stuff. You know, she's not uh, the lead in those particular projects, mm-hmm. but she's signing through. And then her being recast as Mary Beth Dunstan in the Hatchet movies, that put it over the top. Because, you know, I saw Hatchet and loved it at the Tribeca Film Festival at a late showing. It was the premiere. Adam Green was there. The audience of like-minded horror fans loved the fuck out of it. And then you managed to do a sequel and you bump it up. And I'm very, uh, I, I could go off on a tangent about how that was released for just a couple of days in theaters, unrated, and then it got pulled because of MPAA bullshit. That's mm-hmm. not the topic today. Uh, but then, you know, at the end of Victor Crowley with that mid credit scene where it's like, okay, we see Mary Beth again. Let's kick that's, in an, you know, another chapter and bring it all back for one more because she went through hell in that movie covered in blood and goo muck as you love in Adam Green films. And, and she's back. And in Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, I, I think that you saw the damage done to the characters in the second one. And yeah. that's why I could still get through that and, and uh, wonder. Again, you know, she's a professional woman uh, in the, the game for a long time. It's like, all right, lay here. Uh, topless, we're just going to cover you in Google Muck. You're going to be <laughs> sticky and gross for who knows how many hours. And most recently, and I missed her the first time we watched it, but then I found out she was in it and caught her the second time. Because uh, it, it's it's tough to notice her at the Spawn Ranch and Once Upon a Time in yep, Hollywood. That is true. Because she is, um, I'll just say, very pregnant oh yeah she was she was at the the end she was at the end of that pregnancy and i think i remember hearing somewhere like she got the call for that very last minute of her pregnancy like you could probably hear her internal clock ticking of like we got to get it in this take because i don't know how many more i got this person's going to be out in the world very very soon but even for just those few shots it's like there she is, still being fantastic, uh, even though it's a wonderful short part. I don't want to say small, but you know, not a lot of screen time. But you know, now we, we know she's there. We look for it. It's like oh, having an old friend come to visit in in the wee Lady Harris. She, and yeah, she's great. She's fantastic. I again, I just she was an easy one to come to mind when thinking of horror icons because I I definitely I mean as we could see by two out of three are not people who played monsters when it Mm -hmm. came to my horror icons I think it's because it's just so easy like there there are horror icons out there that we just immediately or scream queens out there that we just immediately think of I mean it's like Jamie Lee Curtis that's always going to come to mind when people think scream queen and um I kind of wanted to stray a little bit away from that, but I feel like, I don't know if this is the correct way to put it, but I almost feel like Danielle Harris is just because opposite of mainstream, she is, is almost like an underground, like scream queen. I don't know. She's just, she's not one that immediately comes to mind for a lot of mainstream 
um, or even more, you know, chill horror fans, but she will definitely come to mind in yeah. somebody. For, who's a, yeah. For the casual fan, I, I can understand. Casual, that. that's the word. I yeah. don't think the casual fan will be watching uh, the Hatchet films. And in the Halloween film, she's she's a little girl. She mm -hmm. couldn't be objectified like her older co-stars could have. Uh, so she's not going to come to mind as quickly. But yeah, she's there and she's important. And uh, you know, we're we're there. I'm going to end mine with a different kind of scream queen. Uh, behind the scenes, uh, emphasis more on queen than scream. Uh, she's a woman that deserves way more credit than she usually gets, but I'm talking about the late, great Deborah Hill. Uh, gotta love her as a co-writer and producer of Halloween uh, with her boyfriend at the time, John Carpenter, and he gets a lot of the credit, and, and deservingly so. Because you know he 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 wrote it, directed it, uh, put the music on there. But as they say, behind every great man, there's a great woman. And I think we don't know Deborah's struggle as much because it was not on camera. She was not being interviewed about the movies and subsequent documentaries. But here's the producer of the film, who from everything that I read and preparing for this episode, knew every job on the set, how it needed to be done, how much it cost. As a good producer, they know the solutions and the mostly male oriented crew are looking at this lady and thinking, oh, hey, are you at makeup? Are you at wardrobe? Like, no, motherfucker, I'm one of the producers of this film recognize <laughs> and that I think is, is why people in the know are aware of, of Deborah Hill and uh, need to give her the credit that she deserves. I think around the time that she was dying she was working on making her directorial debut but I couldn't find out uh, what happened with that if that's getting released any place. Mm. Uh, but yeah, she, we know her from her collaborations with John Carpenter, including The Fog and Escape from New York. But uh, she produced a lot of other things like Clue and The Fisher King and, uh, <laughs> and Adventures and Fucking Babysitting. Attack of the 50 Foot Woman? Uh, that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking at her IMDb right now she's no i'm so glad you called her out because she also is given screenwriting credit for the halloween films as well deservingly so yeah and uh i there's a there's a brand um i oh god i can't believe i can't remember the name of this brand but it's a it's an independent brand that makes uh t-shirts that say that they're black t-shirts and that um and they credit, you know, film writers and directors and, mm -hmm. and producers that we don't give enough credit to. And there's a shirt that I've been wanting to get, and it's it's a black shirt and with the Halloween font. It says "produced by," written and produced by Deborah Hill. <laughs> and I just want that shirt. Like that's just all it says. I think um, I saw that shirt 
again, uh, given a lot of free advertising to Shutter, on the In Search of Darkness documentary, and one oh, of the okay. uh, ladies interviewed was wearing that shirt, and I'm like, I think I need to get that shirt for Beautiful Lady. I will, I will send you the link, because I, I follow this brand on Twitter, um, and maybe I'll have you add the name of it to the uh, podcast description, because I hate that I'm giving them credit, and I'm not remembering their name. Um, so uh yeah we'll we'll find it and sure. figure that out uh, uh, we, we we can put that in and you're already gonna have to edit the shit out of this episode already. I know. i've made it quite but, clear <laughs> but, but yeah you got you gotta give love to the ladies of horror uh because without them you know it's 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 shakespeare it's just all dudes playing all the parts and god damn it if that's boring so even behind the scenes uh deborah hill paved the road for for genre filmmakers who identify as female and give different voices that you know us dumb dumb dudes uh probably can't think of on our own because you know we're limited by that y chromosome like we smash now show booby which is great too but you know there, there could be more depth uh amongst the breasts and you know let's hang some dongs too in a in a quality i agree with and some cock and ball guns well i like the route we went down with our horror icons it phased you didn't i you phased you. yeah you didn't say anybody i was anticipating <laughs> i didn't want who i was anticipating but it definitely wasn't those three and i love it i i didn't want to uh speculate too much about who you were going to guess but i i certainly wasn't surprised by sarah michelle Gellar, <laughs> um knowing your your love for her. but like i wanted to just come in here cold because like let's say hypothetically one of us disagreed with the other and and you're like no that guy uh, uh, fuck them they're bullshit i'd still like to hear the conversation about it but we are in total agreement we got six icons so if any of our listeners aren't up and aware on the work of these people how the fuck can you not be go ahead check them out exactly oh my gosh they're incredibly popular and what are you what are you doing <laughs> like you even get, if you didn't know them by name you must have seen something they've done you got free time we're in a pandemic that's very I, true i've watched uh over 160 films by now i mean 560 i was about films. to say my dude go up <laughs> like <Yeah>. you <laughs> 560 films Plus, I'm counting, and we're going to do some more damage this weekend because we can. I love it. No, and we're seeing how long it'll take for you to rewatch the Saw series. <laughs> That's the thing. If I start with one, you're going to have to watch all seven. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to watch fucking all of them because it's not like, like Elm Street, I do them all. Uh, Romero zombie movies, I do them all. Uh, Friday the 13th, I stop at 8, and then I pick back up mm. at, at Freddy vs. Jason and do uh, the one with Derek Mears. You know, there are some that, you know, I gotta skip and, and like, eh, I don't need to watch all of them. But Saw's one, it's like, if, if I'm doing it, I'm all in. I'm telling you, Saw 6 slaps, though. And that means good, yes? That means good. <laughs> that means good. I hate that I watched the Saw movies, rewatched the Saw movies 
after our unpopular opinions episode but maybe it's for the best because i think i would have taken over because it is seven movies i would have had a lot of opinions yeah and then then that would have compelled me to start down the line and i'm not ready for it yeah yeah i'm thinking when you hit 800 maybe if i think it's lionsgate decides to put out spiral on demand i hope they do uh then i may have to go down that road which looking at my dvds over here now it's like oh i don't see where saw seven ended up and i think it fell behind something or that's hilarious <laughs> and saw um, seven's just collecting dust behind <laughs> the shelf oh man it melted behind my radiator or underneath my tv and it's like oh now i gotta move shit <laughs> <laughs> or fell like back behind the other DVDs, which are already precariously balanced. I love that this is becoming a journey. <laughs> it's it's its own death trap in a way. I know. You start hearing a tape. A little puppet shows up in your room on a tricycle. <laughs> Rip. The saw the final chapter DVD has been played. Has fallen behind your radiator two years ago. You can reach back there and give yourself a horrible singe and find out whether or not the plastic has melted and the DVD is actually watchable. Or you can go to a used re record store on Jericho Turnpike and spend $3.99 to buy a new copy and lose a small part of your soul. Make your choice. <laughs> I was really hoping you would say make your choice. I was like, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Tobin it's Bell, everyone. No. <laughs> He, I, I, I saw an article, I didn't click on it, that said he's open to going back to the franchise, which is weird when you die in the third one. But I know. <laughs> well, they made if, it so complicated. It would get to the point where, like, when me and my roommate were watching them, I would have to think, like, what? Where are we? What timeline is this? Because <laughs> it all takes place within, like, three weeks. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll, I'll be, if, if Chris Rock were to give me a call, and say, hey, we want you to be in this with me and Samuel L. Jackson. I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Just, just make sure I can say motherfucker exactly. on camera. Exactly. And, and, and make your choice, <laughs> motherfucker. I love it. Boom. <laughs> Give me that SAG coverage. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, this was a fun one. I loved yeah. hearing uh, your icons. See, and as I always say, if you got ideas for an episode, just let me know and we'll do it and after i agree to it you can tell me what the idea is <laughs> i do i do have a tendency to be like here's the one sentence <laughs> that's it. sometimes that's enough like uh with, with our improv show final girl beautiful lady said to me one day she's like yeah i had an idea for an old lady show that you could do called final girl is there any idea that you can come up with for that i'm like oh fuck yes i can do it so just from those two words i'll go off and run it and, and that's a beautiful thing when creativity hits you and you decide yeah. shit let's do it and then we have a lovely conversation and then you have to edit out the parts where your cat was being a bastard. Yeah, so stay tuned after you hear the closing music. I'm going to add some very funny outtakes to this episode. And maybe that'll become a regular thing because my cat is on steroids and she's becoming 
more and more of a monster and she's just interrupting me all the time you're living with your own jump scare and that's a problem I love it. oh my god we need to make t-shirts that say that. <laughs> i'm placing that right now on the on the podcast nobody can take that idea from us or i will find you Chelsea, where can people find you so that you can find them and yes. threaten them online? <laughs> threaten them online. I'm still waiting for Marilyn Manson's lawyer to call me. <laughs> um, they, and now, who, who else did I? I feel like there was somebody else I called out. Oh, oh. What was his name? Or? John Landis. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's where I'm the most active. Just look up Chelsea Bennington and I am right there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you can check out Spooky Doings on Instagram, Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. Uh, right now, the information is just about the podcast and occasional little spooky stuff uh, that I come across that I find amusing. One of these days, we'll be able to do a show on stage in front of people, but not before it's safe because, you know, we love you we love the people we perform with and it ain't worth the risk just because fuck it it's not and uh, we love you all thank you for listening stay good stay healthy stay spooky till next time horror movies in the 90s she was in sorry i'm gonna have to edit oh my god stop it just stop okay you're giving you're giving chelsea extra work tonkety tonks this is gonna be an outtake i'm probably gonna add at the end this is too stupid after that, uh, she had a small role in Scream 2, where she played one of the more, oh my god, that's something I'm going to have to edit too. Jesus Christ, this cat's fucking killing me.